takes to the ether here from the salubrious climbs on thank you buddy top of the financial district here at the Alcoa Plaza at the fabulous punchline in unforgettable San Francisco California where the daytime temperature was a brisk 70 degrees and the nighttime temperature unfathomable ice station zebra Ernest Borgnine Patrick McGowan fucking parka wearing Freezing balls ass wind whipping through your shit cold. Which makes it a nice change. You get all hot in the daytime and then you go, oh, the fog came in. Fuck. Uh, it's so exciting to be here, ladies and gentlemen. And what an exciting time of year. My God, we're right in the middle of the most important event of all time, the Olympic Games. And... Uh, I don't know if anyone watched, but before you do, I'd like to go to a commercial, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Just when you thought the proof cast was imbued with integrity because no corporate bullshit or meetings took place to concoct the material that I rip from my heart each week and spill in front of you, like so many fucking piglets at a trough suckling at my multicolored proof teats. <laughs> comes that moment of commercial commerce where later in the show by the way I'll be bagging the Olympics for being far too commercial I want you to know that that deep inside I haven't lost my petulant left wing fucking San Carlos integrity that I bring to every show and at the yeah boy at the same time uh, who's gonna pay the rent on this raggedy motherfucker? That's my question. Well, one, you guys, because you paid to get in. And two, the people of the world who are listening to this who can't even click on the Man Great banner because they're in Chad or Upper Volta or somewhere that Bob Costas doesn't know about and Matt Lauer made fun of. One of those kind of countries. Some strife-torn country that got made fun of because we're illiterate fucking hillbillies. Here we go. Summer's here and the time is right. One, for dancing in the streets, as Martha Reeves and the Vandellas urged. Uh, secondly, for smoking weed while you're supposed to be working. Summer is the best time of year. Uh, in the middle of your job, sometimes it'll be like, hey, it's break time. Doug, you want to go outside? Even if your name's not Doug. Yeah, I do. And then you go outside and you go, you know what? I could go back in and early dedicate myself to the next two hours before lunch fucking hits. But what I'm going to do is burn this fucking fatty of purple kush. Like it's the Hindenburg over Lakehurst. I am going to burn it from one end to the other till survivors are jumping off it and people are screaming, oh, the purple Kushamity. Because really, a proofcast is not only an informative discussion and one-way conversation held by me every week. It's a great time to fucking light one up and waste a few of your boss's precious fucking man hours. Uh, because really, how can you dance for the man unless you're high? Um... All right, audience. First warning. Here we go. The Mangrate ad. It's the summer. It's the Mangrate grill enhancement system. Oh, wait. I forgot to read the first sentence. This Father's Day, there's only one perfect gift. Well, Father's Day's over. How old is this fucking copy, Greg? You know, there's two things that really get on my dick. The Falkland War and Billy Carter being such a boob. You know, Arbor Day is but a fond memory. 
And I think when we look back at the year, we're going to look at all the holidays and go, I missed Flag Day. I was supposed to put a flag out or something, right? And what about Groundhog Day? I didn't even watch the movie or nothing. Father's Day's over, and uh, your dad still remains the same. Trust me, he's a fucking asshole. When's he cool? Sometimes. Uh, it's summer, and Labor Day's coming up. We have our own Labor Day, because we don't share May Day with the rest of the world that's read a book and knows about history. We have our own American holiday. Labor Day! And, um... What's Labor Day mean to you? It's the end of the summer and shit fucking starts again and I'm fucking, woo! What's the perfect gift for Labor Day? I've never given anyone a gift on Labor Day. It's a new tradition. We're starting it here tonight in August and we're, we have a month to fucking pull it together. This Labor Day, yeah, when Labor Day rolls around, why do holidays roll around? How come holidays never fucking tap you on the shoulder and go, ah, oh fuck. <laughs> Easter? I never saw you coming. Where'd the fucking Holy Ghost from from? And where'd you get that giant fucking fluffy bunny made of pink shit? What happened there? Holidays roll up on you, right? Uh, when ro Labor Day rolls around, at the end of the summer, you're all tanned and sunburned. Because we all have the same cliche American summer, by the way. No American experiences it differently. No one sits in their room or no one works every day rabbiting away in a cubicle every fucking day of August. We're all out at the fucking beach water skiing. I've never been water skiing, but I've heard it's fun if you're, a, you know, kind of a douche. Um, first of all, we've talked about men who take their shirts off. Really? You better look like Michael fucking Phelps if you're going to take your shirt off. That's all I have to say. I'm talking about man great. I have man breasts, and no one wants to see those on Labor Day. Uh, what is a man great you axe? Man grates are 100% made in America cast iron grilling grates. What the fuck's a grilling grate? It's a heavy duty grilling grate that delivers exactly what you need. It goes on your grill. Uh, I've got an idea, Greg. Why don't you get all out of my grill with your fucking man grate? Uh, it's exactly what you need to achieve that steakhouse flavor you've been looking for. Remember the other day when you uh, uh, hollowed out a turnip and made a lantern out of it and wandered the earth ceaselessly looking for steakhouse flavor? <laughs> You, you, by accident, you walked into an Applebee's in, in Hayward and went, this isn't steakhouse flavor. And then you perambulated out of there and then you, you drove to Marin and went where original Joe's was and went, I want steakhouse flavor. This is more like Italian food flavor. Then you went into a Sizzler and went, I don't want steakhouse flavor this bad. There's a small child fondling the cherry tomatoes at the salad bar. I've been beat up, I've been thrown up, but I'm not down. I've been shown up, but I've fucking grown up, and I'm not down. Uh, when you want that steakhouse flavor you've been looking for, and I still haven't found steakhouse flavor. With Mangrate's patented design, chicken, steak, or veggies, I detest the word veggies, vegetables, We'll have never tasted so will have never tasted so good. Isn't that future perfect? Will have never? Who fucking wrote this? Someone with English as a third language and shit? Some fucking Dutch guy transcribed this in Rotterdam two weeks ago. Really would have never tasted as good with the veggies. Why don't you go for the goodies and have dessert first like you're Elizabeth Taylor? I have a question, Greg. How come everyone from Holland in your sketch sounds like they're from Norway in the 50s? Because Thor Heyerdahl is reading my Mangrate copy. 
He has a mandrate on the Contiki to get steakhouse flavor out in the middle of the ocean like the Incas did on their way across. I will prove two things. That people came from South America, from Africa, and that they used the mangrate. No more flare-ups. Uh-huh. No more dry mint. It really says mint. Look at that line of copy there where it should say meat. Does it or does it not say mint? Are you fucking kidding me? Oh, proofreader. Like there's a guy with a visor and fucking rolled up sleeves. With two armbands on them and a pencil behind his ear that he chews when he's consternated. Can you be consternated when you're in the mood of consternation? No more dry mint. Oh, fuck. Coffee boy! You gotta reset the letter set. It says mint. It should say meat. Who one wants who wants dry meat during the summer? No, nobody. Thank you. Someone said no one. That's exactly right. Women don't want it. Men certainly don't want it. I've been water skiing all day, but my meat feels fucking dry. Anyone got any rub? No, but I got a mangrate. Steakhouse flavor! Is there going to be any flare-ups? Not today. The mangrate put an end to that shit. Uh, by the way, it's guaranteed. Will you stand behind it, Greg? Not the way I'm dressed. You think I'm going to get spattered in this fucking suit? Fuck you. You stand behind it in your Ben Davis pants. Dude from 48th and Uloa. Thank you. I really wish I had time to explain that to the entire podcast listening audience. Just know that there's people in Glasgow going, 48th and you, whoa, what the fuck is that? Take advantage of our $20 smartest man in the world man great special today by clicking this minute. But, Greg, I'm driving. Greg, I'm listening at the gym. Greg, I'm on the Stairmaster now listening to the Proofcast. I don't have time to do it this second. Go on your phone and fucking do it. <laughs> it's on the Mangrate banner at gregproops.com. Where is it? I don't see it. It's down. Where is it? It's not on the top. Go down. I don't see it. Where is it? Scroll down. <laughs> Use your finger and go like this three times in an upward motion, and there it will be. Oh, there it fucking is. It's next to the Amazon skyscraper banner. Click on it and you'll get a $20 call. Okay. Thank you. People like listening to books. Sometimes people don't have time to read books. What was uh, John, uh, who, the, the magnificent John DiMaggio, who does the voice of Bender on Futurama and millions of other voices? Well, the, he was on a proof cast earlier, you may remember. Thank you. Oh, look at that. That's a devoted listener, man. And John out of nowhere from the back of the room. And by the way, you can hear John like he's present on a mic, like he's up on a mic. John was so far away from a microphone. I don't know if the word bellicose is enough of an adjective to fucking comprise the massive vocal agility of John DiMaggio. Louder than fuck is what I would say. He can be heard across Fenway Park in the dead of night when Fenway Park is filled with the ghosts of Negro players who didn't get a chance to play there. And... John was in the back of the room, maybe 20 yards away, and he went, I don't know when you don't feel like reading. 
Sometimes you want to listen to a book. Go to audiblepodcast.com stroke smartest and click on that and you get something if you go on the banner and we get credit for it. And thank you for going to that. There's also an Amazon skyscraper banner uh, on the right-hand side. I don't see it. It's near the Mangrave banner. But where is it? It's not at the top. Fucking could you make an effort? When I put a fucking link up and it says click this link to get tickets, don't fucking tweet me two seconds later and go, where do I get tickets? Are you looking at your phone or are you just rubbing it on yourself? People like music. Sure, Greg, I like music. Me too, mister. Young boy with a soft microcephalic head. I'm going to show you a new way to get music. Oh, hooray. I'm wearing a helmet so I don't get squished. It's called Spotify. Millions of tracks, artists, and even comedic content is on there for you to access whenever you want. The way I think about Spotify, says this sentence, you know, here's how I think about Spotify. I'm reading this fucking spot because I want you to fucking click on it so we can stay on the air. That's how I fucking think about Spotify. Do what you fucking like, ladies and gentlemen. But what if they pull their ad? Hooray. They're not gonna. They're not fucking gonna. I'd like to see them try. I will be down at Spotify headquarters. In Santa Clara, California, or wherever the fuck it is, in Campbell. I don't know where fucking Spotify is. Uh, we listened to the last show, Greg, and we thought you diminished us in the public's eye. Um, let me put it this way. I illuminated you because no one fucking knows what you are yet and shit. What you are is this. It works on PCs, Macs, home audio systems, and mobile phones. Tracks play live and there's no need to wait for downloads and no big dents in your hard drive. Go to Spotify on our website. When I say our, I mean we. And when I mean we, I mean the royal family. And when I say the royal family, I mean Andrew, the fucking errant rapey one. <laughs> and his unspeakably hatted daughters. Uh, click register on your Facebook account. What if I don't have a Facebook account? Wow. Why don't you join the rest of us middle-aged people and fucking get one? Then you can be on with my cousins from Tennessee and shit. Won't that be a kick in the fucking patootums? <laughs> Download Spotify to your Windows or Mac's computer. Search and find them. And there's an Amazon skyscraper banner too. Click on that and we get credit and shit like fucking that will be the law of the land. The Olympics were on this week and I'm sure that everyone watched because everyone watched. I don't know why. They, they, still have, they still have cachet. Even more than the Academy Awards, I think people go like, the Olympics, that doesn't fucking happen that often. And believe me, in the United States, people really do say things like that. We're, those don't happen that often, do they? About every four years. About? Yeah, because I remember the last one. That was, in, uh, that was in another place. As you know, the Olympics were started by the ancient Greeks, and it was all naked men. No women were allowed in the stands, and they gave out cash prizes. They also gave out beaten leaf fucking laurel crowns uh, made of gold and shit like that as well. And afterward, one can presume that the locker room scene was scandalous. <laughs> if you give me a pot of honey and a crater of wine and smother me in feta cheese and oil up my body and make me watch a dude throw a javelin and then two guys wrestle each other in a sand pit, I'm going to get a semi. Call me Telemachus, call me Odysseus. Hey, it's going to fucking happen. That's why they held them that way. 
Uh, and the cash prizes are my favorite part. People got fucking gold and shit like that when they won the Olympics. There was no amateur fucking... And a lot of the good sports that you see now, all the goodest ones, let's be fucking honest. I watched kayaking the other day for 30 seconds <laughs> until I took my life by driving a straw through my eardrum. <laughs> It was a dude in what looked to be a shitty English whirlpool that I used to see ads for on TV in London turn your home into a spa. A dude was in a shitty little rickety car going like this and the thing was just spinning around. I was like, this isn't a fucking sport. This is a dare that dudes named Mike with mustaches make. Okay, I know you went to Oregon and you went to the Dalles and you and your friends took pictures of each other and you threw your fists in the air and you put zinc oxide on your nose. I don't need to see it on fucking TV. You can tell me about it when we're high. And that story better come up short. Kayak. If you're gonna have kayak, can we have it in the Arctic by remote? Thank you. And have... Fucking Nunavitz chasing down a seal for four or five days. <laughs> virtually starving to death. And then beating the steel to death when they fucking get it. Throwing it on the back of the kayak and then taking it back till the women in the village chew it ceaselessly. <laughs> and pull the intestines out of its body and, and, and chew on them till they can make mukluks with the sinew. That's kayaking. When you kill a killer whale with a club you made out of the bone from a narwhal's ass, that's kayaking. Not if you're a douchebag wearing fucking bike shorts and your name is like Tog or Kel or whatever. Not into it. But we like kayaking, Greg. Yeah, I know you did. Some of you live in Marin. Yeah. What's that I smell? Kentfield. That's what I fucking smell. Yeah. Oh, I have a bike rack on the back of my car. Yeah, I know you do. You're hogging up two lanes on the Golden Gate Bridge, you fucking ass hat. Yeah. Oh, I took two spaces in the marina. I didn't want to get scratched. <laughs> Negro alert and whatnot. Watch some real sports, okay? And uh, the Greek ones with the goodies, discus, hammer, fucking, in how insane is the hammer throw? If you have never watched it, and they won't show it on NBC because they can't do a profile on the small American child who grew up with one arm and one eye and whose father had a mirror in his forehead and despite that bizarre mythological disability grew up to finish 18th in freestyle hammer. <laughs> You know how NBC covers fucking sports. I don't know the name of that fucking country that won, but finishing 24th, we have a package with Ryan Seacrest we're about to roll out now. <laughs> Nebraska, 1994. You know, like, fuck you to death forever. And a guy picks up a shot put at the end of a chain and wheels around like a maniac and then lets it fucking fly into a field. They measure how long they went and then whoever threw it the longest fucking not only wins, they're huge. There are no cash prizes. And uh, you don't really see, like, McDonald's official sponsor of the hammer throw. Because I think the popularity of the hammers winnowed down to a select group of men with enormous necks uh, who have not seen their undercarriage in quite some time. The put, awesome. The shot put. Uh, and I was watching Rollerball a couple weeks ago on cable. Fucking, why isn't rollerball a sport in the Olympics? 
Does anyone remember the movie? Not the fucking one from with that had Chris Mc, uh, with that fucking one from five years ago. Yeah, that one's blue. The one with James Caan, exactly. The one from 74, was it? Fucking in Rollerball, it's the future, and we play this sport that's all the corporations own the world, and each corporation has a different city, like Houston's the energy city, which, that was prescient as fuck. When you, <laughs> and uh, uh, Jonathan plays for the Houston team, and, and it's James Caan, and he becomes too big, and they, 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 it's roller derby with motorcycles. And they shoot a shot put out of a cannon, and then someone picks it up with a scoop, and then they hand it to a dude, and it's basically roller derby. And with the old-fashioned four-skate skate, no inline skating, this is the 70s. And they fucking have to throw it into a giant vacuum tube magnetic fucking thing that goes pong when it hits. And then an awesome 70s light with the bad 70s graphics, so the one looks like an upside-down tree. <laughs> And then when players die next to their number, the five that looks like an S that's backwards, the, the red lights go out, right, to indicate fucking digital awesomeness. And the referee's in a spinning thing because spinning was big in the 70s. Like, you wouldn't have a ref that you could see on a video. He would actually have to spin to watch the fucking ball go around the track. And he releases it with a fucking poosh. So how does the game work? It doesn't fucking matter. They wear spike gloves and they beat the shit out of each other. In the second match of the game, awesomely in the movie, they suspend the rules entirely. There's limited substitutions and no penalties. When have you ever heard of no penalties in a game? Then the last game, there's no penalties and no time limit. That's the shittiest idea ever, even by a corporate oligarchy. The game's going to last 14 minutes because everyone's going to be dead, which is indeed what happens. Spoiler alert. Roller, it is awesome. Someone went, and it's awesome. Awesome doesn't begin to describe rollerball. Everyone takes little white pills that look just like Soma, and they go like, don't take too many, and they all take one, and like Jonathan's girlfriend takes one at a TV taping, and she's like, let's go home. And you're like, that is a fucking great futuristic scene. Many futuristic movies forget to leave out the drugs that increase your libido that make you fucking high as fuck. Uh, I think the problem with futuristic movies is that everyone walks around in a horrible garbage-strewn fucking pools of alkali thing dressed like punks with purple mohawks while rain falls. No one ever takes a pill and goes, oh, fucking let's go home. That would be my futuristic movie. It would last 14 minutes and that would be the whole movie. Uh, in any case, rollerball should be brought back and put in the Olympics. And I'm going to sit here quietly until that happens. I'm joking, of course. There's going to be humor really, really soon. Yeah, someone went, yay. Yay for humor. Let's have it back. Uh, they, the discus and then the running and shit like that. So I'm watching the Olympics and I'm watching the opening ceremony. And uh, it took place in England, I believe. I think the theme of this year's opening ceremonies was Slumdog Hobbit. There was a gigantic pile of dirt. Uh, there was a weird hill, the Glastonbury tour. Uh, there was a, it was like we went to a rave in the 90s. It was like the second Matrix movie, except without the Burning Man element, really. <laughs> Danny Boyle is so ecstasy-induced, big box, little box, what the fuck's happening, techno fucking, you know. I was like, okay. And then 10 minutes into it, uh, the, 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 the downtrodden workers of the world from a 1930s fucking German expressionist movie were trudging up a hill 
to indicate, uh, I think, athletic achievement. I'm not really sure what the message was. It was misguided, let me put it that way. It was well-intentioned. It had nothing to do with athletics. Let me make a suggestion, Danny. Let's, let's do some notes. Why don't we have um, a woman dressed as Bodica with a flaming red fucking wig on come out in a chariot pulled by fucking rhinoceri unleash a fucking flaming javelin covered with Greek fire pitch and fling that across the fucking ring at the fucking golem who pops out of a hole and then the golem's head explodes into the five Olympic rings which burst into fire and form a zillion molecules that all become fucking John Carlos and Tommy Smith throwing the black power salute into the air No, 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 no. Let's have people dressed in 30s clothes march up a hill and then have Kenneth Brown dressed as Abraham Lincoln watch a, a pipe come out of the ground. It was so fucking English. Shabby, shoddy, well-intentioned, and absolutely missed the mark with its unbelievably fucking awful Ken Loach production values. It was like a depression-era kitchen sink fucking drama Everyone's gone quiet in this room. When they wheeled out a tuberculosis ward full of children in pajamas, did you or did you not bum out harder than you've ever bummed out? When NHS nurses in 40s uniforms went, shh, and you were being shushed by period NHS nurses, at any point did you go, this is exactly what the Olympics is about? When countries come together to think about a failing healthcare system, all the English papers were like, Americans don't fucking get it. They're jealous of our healthcare. I lived in England for five years. I never met anyone healthy. When you would do a comedy show in November in a, in a town in England, this is what you'd hear before the show started. <laughs> It was like being at Doc Holliday's house right before the end. The whole country is an emphysema ward. No one's jealous of NHS nurses shushing when the deaf children came out to sing. I'm not deaf. I don't hear well. Deaf people constantly argue over whether they should be forced to speak so that the hearing can fucking hear them or whether they should just sign like they want to. He brought out a bunch of deaf children and they went, and it was like, this is so on the borderline of hilarious. I know what you're trying to say, that deaf, deaf people are people too. However, you put them in pajamas as if they're about to expire. Couldn't they be healthy fucking deaf children wearing fucking tunics or like... Olympic uniforms with fucking flags being carried on the shoulders of LeBron James. Wouldn't that have made it a funnier, cooler, fun deaf experience? Couldn't you have had David Beckham carry a deaf child under each fucking arm and then scissor kick them through a fucking goalpost to indicate how awesome England is while the Beatles played? Wouldn't that have been better? Lady Madonna, poof, there goes one deaf child. Children at your feet, poof, wonder how you managed to look at that one go end over end. You're England. You have three things. The past and the Beatles. All right, you have two things. 
But we did show the past. We, th- we showed people trudging up a mountain and Kenneth Brown addressed as Abraham Lincoln watching a pipe come out of the ground while people went like this. <laughs> Let me ask you a question about the choreography, Danny. Are there no gay people in England anymore? Why did you have a straight guy fucking choreograph this? This blows. Couldn't Elton John have been sitting there with a five Olympic ring pair of sunglasses on? And the camera swings down to catch him and he's wearing buttless leather Union Jack chaps and out of his ass crawls a small child and that child throws a hammer and the hammer explodes into the queen or whatever and then Pippa's butt falls on the crowd is that too much to fucking ask England Danny Boyle Mr. Bean what am I a three year old who's taking a croquet mallet blow to the fucking head who is Mr. Bean funny to except for people white people who live in Zimbabwe Oh, I say, Mr. Bean. Oh, yes. Uh, Quite good, that. Yes. Well, look, look, he's being rude. It's not funny. It's Benny Hill funny. Which is to say, after the age of seven, you're like, okay. Before seven, you're like, fuck me! I can't believe this! Like the Three Stooges. When you're four, the Stooges are like, you hit him in the head. When you're eight, you're like, okay. Are there going to be jokes? James Bond, who was wearing, by the way, a drag queen amount of makeup. He looked turkey. Pitched up with the queen. Finally, shit picked up after 20 minutes of, of fucking WPA painting. Of the noble workers pulling a grindstone up the hill. And by the way, Danny Boyle, if you're going to do that, go all the fucking way. Karl Marx lived in London. Have Karl Marx come out smoking a cigar with a little red book in his hand and just light it on fire and then it just goes, poof, Exxon. (laughs) Meredith Vieira, I'm confused. Sweetheart. Are you Ann Curry confused? Or just regular confused? Because there's confused and there's fucking Ann Curry confused. I don't know what's happening. Why are all the lights? It's the Olympics. Ooh, when do those go on? Uh, they dropped the queen from a plane, which is awesome. Or a, a helicopter. And... Um, Frankly, that should be a regular event in the Olympics, don't you think? Don't you think the House of Windsor should go that extra mile, knowing that uh, Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, and the Queen are on their last fucking... Well, she's on her last 20 laps, let's be honest. She could, her mother died at, what, 102? Uh, the Queen could live to be like 110. But Philip's, Philip's definitely, I think about 99, he'll pocket off. And uh, shouldn't he be willing to be dropped from a helicopter during every Olympic event? And go like, and now the dropping of the royals. <laughs> Where's the next Olympics? Does anyone know? Brazil. Oh, it's in Brazil. Hooray. Oh, and the next World Cup, too. Look at Brazil. Oba, oba, all sexy. Fucking giving out STDs and shit. Don't steal my watch. But I am but a poor child. Oh, go on. 
This is Danny Boyle's Brazilian opening ceremonies. I am barefoot and cannot find a meal. Squash! The corporate machine has crushed my testicles. Shh. Oh, look at the poor child dying. And now the king of Portugal. It was too late. Dropping the queen from a helicopter was the best part of the whole opening ceremony. Uh, dude, don't bury the fucking lead. Open with that shit. Open with that. And then close with Paul McCartney being fired from a cannon. Into the giant Pink Floyd pig that's circling the Battersea Power Station. So you think you can tell? Heaven from hell! This guy's How I wish... How I wish these opening ceremonies didn't suck, man bag. We're just too long. Um, I think the opening ceremonies, the ones in Beijing, as we've discussed on the Proofcast, uh, as someone in The Guardian so unforgettably wrote, looked like they were rehearsed at the pointy end of a gun. <laughs> the Beijing Olympics were a thousand children who'd been clitorectomized just before the ceremony. <laughs> Fucking going. Look, a million people can do something in unison. The England one was like, do do what you fucking want. I'm climbing up a hill. I'm going like this. Enough! I'm singing. I've got tuberculosis. <coughs> I'm Abraham Lincoln. Where's my smokestack? Hologram the other Beatles if you're going to bring Paul McCartney out. Beatles rock band that shit, man. Why didn't it start with the who we don't get fooled again and then fucking go into the buzzcocks? What do I get? Oh, what do I get? That would have been a fucking great opening. <laughs> then the Parade of Nations, which I used to watch when I was little with great fucking verve and gusto. This time it was who? Was it, was it Bob, Constance, and uh, Meredith? Was it Meredith too? Or was it they dragged in fucking um, uh, Matt Lauer? A Joe Buck. If only Joe Buck. Joe Buck. Joe Buck. If only uh, his dad had been there. Out. Um, fucking. So they start the parade. And then, like, this is the one time in every four years when countries that no one's heard of. C- Comoros? What was that fucking place? There were a few that I went like, Really? That's awesome. And then they'd always be obscure islands off the country, uh, a co- coast of somewhere. There was an unaffiliated team. I don't know if anyone saw that. Yeah. Two people from the Dutch Antilles and another person from another country that hopefully I have in this giant stack of paper here. And um, they did the best dance of any country, man. They did, the girl was wearing a white fucking windbreaker and she went like this. 
They did the Rocky Horror fucking riffraff dance. And the other two guys did this fucking crazy Lenny Pickett and Tower of Power 1972 dance. Uh, they had the most fun of anybody. If I'm going with a country, I'm going with unaffiliated next time. Because Ralph Lauren made our uniforms and he gave us those awesome motorcycle diary Che Guevara berets. Because America's all about berets. Uh, gimme caps, dude, and a wife beater. That's our uniform. I'm only here for the beer. Clogs and a fanny pack. That's the American team. And we pull up in a monster truck. We don't even walk it. We just go, wow. Just roll over the fucking team from Cameroon. Just squash them like the dream team and shit. All the while videoing on our iPhones. Who's got a big dick? We do. Who's got money to send a huge team? We do. Who the fuck are you, Lesotho? Who the fuck are you? Fucking bug eaters. So Djibouti comes out. And Djibouti hasn't had enough trouble in their famine-stricken, tyrant-ridden fucking history. Matt Lauer goes, Djibouti? <laughs> yeah, it has the word booty in it. Matt, how much money do you get? $55 million a year? Isn't he the highest-paid fucking person on TV and shit? Fucking fuck you. How about dignifying Djibouti once in its fucking shitty life as a country by going, Djibouti has a population of 11 people, four of whom have both their arms. Many things come from Djibouti. Pestilence, regret. How about some dignity? Stop acting like a fucking hillbilly who's never been anywhere before. Djibouti? <laughs> then later, when the inventor of the internet and only England brings out the inventor of the internet to celebrate the Olympics. Today, we can all spy on each other and imprison people from Australia because of this man's work. And then it was, what was it at the end? This is all for you. Which, as you remember, was a line that the, the, uh, the nanny screamed in the, in the omen before she hung herself. <laughs> Damien! Damien! Matt Lauer goes, Who the fuck is this guy? I've never fucking heard of him and shit. <laughs> Maybe you could have read the piece of paper they gave you that's in front of you. If I was being paid $54 million, I'd get paid nothing except man-great money. I receive man-great coupons to do this show. And I have studied more and know who Tim Warner fucking whatever hyphenate name was. Who, by the way, hasn't lived in England in like 30 fucking years because he lives here. Because apparently he went online and went, hmm... I could move. <laughs> they did a good job. <laughs> In 
It's not England that I resent. I just think it's hilarious. You realize Moscow, Paris, New York, and London bid on these Olympics some eight years ago. London won the bid. I can only assume they greased somebody so fucking hard at the IOC, like Mitt Romney, you know, Salt Lake style, like greased, like, like a pig greased, like completely laminated from one end to the other with lard and shot through a fucking hoop. Uh, if this had been in Paris, do you think the fucking opening ceremonies would have had poor people trudging up a hill at any point? I don't fucking think so. I think Celine Dion would have been dipped in, like, red candy. I guarantee you, no one would have been dressed like Louis Pasteur watching a fucking hypodermic needle go into someone's ass. The French had Bastille Day, but, but a short month and a half ago. And I don't know if anyone watched online the French Bastille Day celebration. Here on the 4th of July, you know what it's like. Uh, someone lights a firecracker and then their thumb blows off and we all laugh and it's awesome. <laughs> then there's a jet fly over and uh, who is it? John Williams or whoever that guy is with the Boston Pops plays some unspeakable fucking Sousa. You know, bum, 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 and everybody goes, America, we were, we were great up until 12 years ago. Bastille Day in Paris the Eiffel Tower they put a disco ball under the platform a giant motherfucking disco ball shined lights on it and played gay disco for an hour that was their Bastille Day yeah and I'm talking about Grace Jones doing fucking La Vie en Rose fucking the Bee Gees all of a sudden you can't tell and the French crowd's going, wow! There is no gay borderline in France. Everybody likes the same thing. Really, you're basing that on one YouTube video you watched of the Steel Day? Not only am I basing it on that. What am I reading? Oh, that. Uh, right. So uh, I thought the parade was a scandal. Then the coverage starts. In the middle of the parade, they were doing a tribute to 7-7. And I happened to be in London on 7-7. Uh, and as you know, all of us first world countries uh, are in the market of making ourselves victims now till the end of time so that we can uh, justify these insane fucking endless fucking wars against Islam that we're never going to drop. Now... We used to be strong and have a big swinging dick and go like, okay, we can take a few hits. We're fucking America. We'll just build a ship and stuff. <laughs> now it's like, well, fucking, fuck, fuck you, people from everywhere. Um, I was in London on 7-7, and the awesome part of 7-7 was the next day I went to the airport on 7-8 or 8-7, or however they fucking date. And uh, there was no extra security that day. They, they really, they stood fucking tall. It was an amazingly sad and awful fucking horrid day perpetrated by maniac idiot fuck faces. But the English people didn't fucking start sniveling and crying and shit. The worst part of the day was I turned the TV on and Rudy Giuliani happened to be in fucking London and he said the same thing on five different TV shows and they let him. And that was the part that embarrassed me more than anything else about being an American. He went, the English people are like they were during the Blitz in World War II, except the Blitz wasn't perpetrated by fucking maniacs at the behest of fucking whatever maniac organization that blew up a bus. You dumb fuck, there is no analogy whatsoever. You're repeating the same vapid fucking talking points that you have your entire fucking vapid, horrible, fascist, oppressive life. And I don't want to hear it any fucking more. 
So thank you for showing up in London when I was there on a day that they stood very tall and one of the few days that Tony Blair I had respect for uh, because he didn't, he fucking took his dick out and went, we'll get through this and shit. Uh, instead of, we're fucking victims now. <laughs> Uh, in any case, there was a tribute to 7-7, which again, at the Olympics, super appropriate. Um, they cut away from that so that we could all watch Ryan Seacrest interview Michael Phelps about his package and shit. And my wife pointed out to me the other day that when Ryan Seacrest isn't the worst announcers on the Olympics, we're in some fucking trouble. When you actually go, oh, he's going to be coherent and enthusiastic. I was watching a boxing match the other day and the announcer went, the, the, the fighter wearing blue is having a really good fight. Are their names not anywhere available during the proceedings of the Olympics? How? NBC, hello? Did, did you get my cousins from Reno to announce this? That fucking guy in the red, man, fuck! Um, I haven't seen one ceremony where they've given anyone a medal. Has anyone seen a medal ceremony? I'm asking for reals. Has anyone on any of the NBC channels? Ping-pong. Ping-pong, you saw the medal ceremony for ping-pong, really? Like, I mean, see three people on a stand actually get their medals. Three play. Chinese ladies. Three Chinese ladies. Was that on NBC? No, it was on the internet. On the internet. There you are. I've been watching NBC every night. I haven't seen one medal bestowed. Remember? Does anyone remember or am I a fucking insane old man now? I am Jeremiah, aren't I? I am in the wilderness with eating fucking locusts and shit while everyone stares at me going, I'm fucking, who wants to watch that shit, man? Because um, it was the fun part. In 1968, when John Carlos and Tommy Smith threw their fists in the air, that was the most exhilarating sporting moment of the fucking 60s besides Muhammad Ali. I mean, there really wasn't a more exhilarating sporting moment. We wouldn't get that on BBC now because they'd be showing a package about some fucking idiot who's going to finish 18th in men's gymnastics, which I didn't know they had. Have I been talking off the mic for the last 20 minutes? This is going to be the best show ever. I'd like to see that. I'd also like to see an announcer occasionally. Remember when announcers used to come on with their ugly fucking uh, blazers and their tie and go, Hi, I'm here at the Velodrome in London, and we're about to start some exciting bicycle races. And then they'd cut away to the stuff. Have you noticed there are no more people? They're gone. They're just corporate voices ringing in the air. And have you also noticed that they must fill every second of the event with their blather? You're watching a little girl jump off of a fucking, uh, what are those called, horses? And you know, oh, Easy, easy. I know you're the smartest crowd in the world and you're eager to participate. I know what it's called. It's a pommel horse, Greg. Thank you, pommel horse person. Thank you to all my faithful guides. An 11-year-old rocket onto the top of a pommel horse and then do an insane 360-degree five-turn pixie bounce in the air that seems to defy gravity and then land as light as Tinkerbell in a pool of fucking scarlet dust and then throw their hands into the air and a huge smile on their face and the whole fucking place bursts into fucking screaming ecstasy because we've seen physics defied by the fucking young who we've trained and made do these things for us for our own delectation is the moment that I want to hear someone go, you know, the women's team's emotional. 
I'm a man. Here's my opinion again. I'm going to make some definitive statements that have to be amended every 30 seconds because the event keeps evolving. But because I'm a man, I'd like to say something definitive in the first 30 seconds that won't hold. And then keep trying to support that shitty opinion by talking louder and louder and being more misogynist and more fucking misanthropic and talking about the other countries fucking never. Look! The women's team's emotional! They're crying! They're 14-year-old girls with a fat, ugly, douchebag dude with a telephoto lens standing one centimeter away from them at the most intimate moment of their unbelievably fucking unfulfilled 14-year-old fucking lives. Why don't you let them have a fucking second by shutting the cock up for two seconds? And then... Were we playing other teams in women's gymnastics? Because I did not see them. I assume there was many teams in the Olympic Games, not just the Russian team that they kept showing fall off the pommel horse. And then they'd show a 15-minute package about that woman, uh, the, the young girl on the team, and her mom would be in the crowd, and she was eliminated, I think, before we started and only got to play... I've forgotten her name. Jordan, yes, Jordan. I have nothing against Jordan. I think she's done everything. I have everything against NBC for raising the expectations that Jordan was the greatest human being that ever walked the face of the earth. And then when she does something that all athletes do, which is fail occasionally, maybe finish just slightly less than everyone else, be like, she should have won! Like, she's 14. Get off her dick and shit. It's the equivalent of watching parents at a little league game fight in the stands. Listening to NBC's commentary is like listening to two misogynistic dickheads at a junior hockey match scream at each other the whole fucking time. I have been repulsed and revolted by every fucking moment. And then they talk about every goddamn thing. Well, they're spinning through the air now. I, I can see that. I am, in fact, watching television right now. Therefore, I can see almost everything that you're talking about, and why don't you shut up? When we're watching gymnastics, we want to hear them hit the fucking balance beam, right? Because it's extraordinary. Yeah, that was exciting there, wasn't it? The only thing more extraordinary than watching a 12-year-old hit the balance beam is watching a, a, a middle-aged comic hit the table and watch the vodka shoot off the table. By the way, if any of the staff are still speaking to me, may I have another vodka? Thank you. You don't have to pay for it. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I have man great coupons. Steakhouse flavor. Maybe I came down a little hard on the NBC people. I, I am, of course, joking. They can't take enough abuse. They've had so much abuse from the English press and from the world press uh, that there's been people on the web who I'm sure have been paid by NBC 
to go. They're doing a good job. Thanks for someone wrote the other day on the web. Thanks for all your hard work. Um, they're being paid to do that. And the reason why everyone you're talking through your handkerchief now, Greg. I know. <laughs> the reason why everyone is anonymous and you never see the announcers is that almost all of them are in New York watching it on TV and announcing it from New York. Just so you know that about this Olympics. Matt Lauer and all of them are getting so much fucking money that they really didn't send over the announcers. They're announcing from New York. They are not live at the Olympics. You mean this is like a Chinese TV? Thank you, my darling. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, that's what's going on in America right now. While you're having to watch these 25 fucking minutes of commercials between everything, and then you notice as soon as Michael Phelps does the thing, he's in a Michael Phelps commercial immediately following. Whoever they do a package about immediately is in the commercial following afterward. That's what they're trying to do. It's not about athletics. Really, Greg, you're telling us something we already knew since 1968. Yes, but... <laughs> Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> they really did used to show um, whole events like heats and stuff like that. They really used to show people win their medals. They really used to talk about other countries. The reason why Nadia Comaneci and Olga Corbett were insanely famous in this country was we made them stars on TV by talking about them. Now we re even refuse to acknowledge those other countries. When I see them start to chant USA and shit, I'm as proud of being an American as in the next fucking, you know, as Woody Guthrie. And... <laughs> but... I, really? Uh, so when they had the parade... The one thing NBC could have done, all the countries came through, Saudi Arabia came through. A very significant moment happened in Saudi Arabian history. They actually sent two women on their Olympic team to the Olympics. They've never done this before, right? At the moment that Saudi came through, the camera was shittily on the front two guys from the Saudi team. And by the way, what were those fucking costumes those poor girls had to wear that held to hold the nation signs that had the weird faces on them that were like, oh my God, did Stella McCartney really design those? Was she angry? Like, we're a bit heavy on the McCartneys in this fucking opening ceremony here. Crack out Ron Wood's daughter or somebody. Let's get someone else in the fucking mix. Those dresses were like bridesmaid dresses from a fucking wedding in Modesto in 1974. Those were a bummer, man. This is a once-in-a-lifetime event. Fucking red hot pants. Let's go. Chip, chip. Saudi came out, and uh, Saudi came out, and of course they go, here's Saudi Arabia, glyph, and it flipped away to something else. You could barely see the two women if you're TiVoing it. They're in the back of the frame. Two women wearing fucking full-on, you know, they're not wearing shaw doors, but they have like full-length outfits on with fucking scarves and whatnot. They were in the very back. Let me read you something from the AP, uh, the Agence France Press. Uh, Saudi commentators on Saturday hailed the first ever participation of women from the ultra-conservative kingdom in the Olympics, but criticized, and let's just go back and read that sentence again, because as we know here, we break down the news because news has no information in it. In fact, it isn't even news. It's stuff you already know. Kingdom. Saudi Arabia is a kingdom. They are not a democracy. They're not an oligarchy. They're not even a tyranny. They're a kingdom. They have a king. And that means that there is no laws. They have a king. So they have religious police and religious laws like that. I've been to Saudi Arabia. And someone said to me, you may think you're on U.S. territory because we're at an air base. You may think you're in a country. But what you're in is a kingdom where they chop people's hands off and chop people's heads off on a fucking block in the middle of Riyadh. This is the country we're talking about. Mind you, they're our biggest ally in the Middle East.
Mind you, we sell them all types of fucking arms. Mind you, President Bush used to walk with the Prince of Saudi and kiss him on the mouth and hold hands with him all the time. Mind you, all of the people, except for one, that were on the planes that were on 9-11 were, yeah. So... Let's just put Saudi in perspective. Now, I'm not talking about the people of Saudi Arabia, of I'm sure are nice people. I'm talking about the kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the people who run that country there. Um, they criticized placing female athletes behind the men because they were well behind the men. Finally, the Saudi team as men and women wrote female journalist Haifa al-Zarani on her page. Saudi Arabia, which applies a strict version of Islamic Sharia law and imposes constraints on women, agreed to send women athletes to the Olympics on the condition that they respect a strict dress code. Hmm. What time is it? Oh, it's the year 1153. <laughs> During Friday night's opening ceremony at the Olympic Stadium in London, the two women, uh, Judika Wojin Sherhakani and her U.S.-raised 800-meter runner, Sarah Attar, walked behind their male colleagues in the Saudi team uh, Mr. Blah, 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 blah. Um, Saudi Arabia will remain in the black back seat as long as women are in its back seat. Uh, not everyone in Saudi Arabia greeted the move as a step forward. You mean there were people who didn't want the women to participate in Saudi Arabia? Surely not. People who opposed female participation in the game started a Twitter hashtag saying, Stop women's participation in the Olympics. That's a catchy hashtag. <laughs> I would have just had like, No bitches. <laughs> I put a veil on it. I put a veil on it. I put a veil on it. Your female sexuality is intimidating my age-old fucking hypocrisy. I wonder if you could sheathe that shit for a while. While others went even further with the hashtag, the prostitutes of the Olympics, an even more unwieldy hashtag. I'd just say, uh, no, only bros, no hoes. Saturday Saudi newspapers did not report the... Do they have newspapers in Saudi? What's it like reading a newspaper in Saudi? King great, according to King. <laughs> Rally for the king at eight. Attendance mandatory. <laughs> Bring your Pakistani slaves. <laughs> oh yeah, you fucking heard me. <laughs> How do you think all the buildings get built in the Persian Gulf? Uh, the open and, and people from Sri Lanka. A poor coverage of the opening ceremony, possibly due to the time difference with Britain. Princess Basma bint Saud bin Abdul Aziz cheered the Saudi team, but also wondered, I don't understand how men walked in before the women. A lot of us didn't understand that, because we live now. <laughs> and not when Sinbad was rolling around Oman. The country's most senior sports official, and this will give you an idea of what a kingdom has sports officials. Prince... Nawaf bin Faisal, you've heard of the Faisal family, said the women would be allowed to compete so long as they were wearing suitable clothing that complies with Sharia. He also added other stipulations, including that, quote, athlete's guardian agrees and attends with her, and that, quote, there must be no mixing with men during the games. Yeah, exactly. Someone just went, oh, good luck. I think a lot of us saw the uh, diving teams the other day, the men's diving teams. I think a lot of us were reading their swimsuits like Helen Keller. As my wife pointed out, the, some of the other teams were less gifted than some of the other teams. I don't care how deep a shot or you've got on. Exactly. Love, love will find a way, as Pablo Cruz said. 
So keep your shot door open, cause love will find a way. Men and women share judo training venue, the warm-up area, blah, 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 and fight side by side. On Thursday, the International Judo Federation banned Shahar Urkane from wearing the Islamic hijab headscarf during her bouts, triggering a complaint from the Saudi delegation. Da-da-da-da-da. And then finally, she got to wear a modified headscarf. Um, I wouldn't call it a major breakthrough, but it does set a precedent, said Isabel Coleman, a senior fellow with the Council on Foreign Relations. Sports for women are contested in several conservative Islamic societies around the world. The fact that the Saudis have capitulated and allowed women to participate in international competition will no doubt inspire others to push for more. Really, Isabel Coleman, you senior fellow with the Council on Foreign Relations? Let me ask you something about the Council on Foreign Relations. Are you funded by multinational fucking energy and oil conglomerations that destroy the world with their fucking bullshit every second of the day? Wait a minute. I think you are. So your little fucking understatement here that a bunch of teams Teams from the fucking Persian Gulf and from the Arab world finally had women participating in an international event that's been going on since the 1890s. And that, in fact, has been male-dominated since the 700 BCs when it started in Greece. You wouldn't call it a major breakthrough, would you not? Well, let me ask you something, biatch. Uh, what would you call a major breakthrough? The day you took the fucking carrot out of your Djibouti? And fucking recognized that your fucking sisters were finally getting to walk on the goddamn field and be seen by a global fucking audience and participate in judo on mats with men and shit like that? You don't call that a major fucking breakthrough? I do. When the Middle Ages breaks through to the 21st century, that's a major fucking breakthrough. This Olympics is the Women's Olympics. Because of that. Because of the countries that are sending women this time, because of the outstanding participation of all the female athletes, because the women athletes have to be better sports than the men athletes, because male athletes don't go and watch the female athletes win their gold medals, because it's a tradition in this country for the male teams not to go fucking watch the female teams win their fucking gold medals. And by the way, our U.S. fucking women's soccer team has won a World Cup and a fucking gold medal, and the men's hasn't. So, yeah, get up on that and shit like that, Bob Costas and every other one fucking person. Bob Costas the other night went, well, we expected the story with the swimming to be Michael Phelps and rightly so, but the women have surprised us by being outstanding and winning every goddamn event. That's how they surprised you, you myopic, misanthropic, small dick, fucking hair-dyed motherfucker. Fucking grow a clitoris, Bob, and understand. Under-fucking-stand. Don't be the Saudi prince in charge of diminishment. Really? You had to say you thought the story would be Michael Phelps because you're so fucking obvious and banal? You didn't think the story would be a 17-year-old? And did you, have you seen her, uh, is it Misty? When Misty gets interviewed, I'm just glad I didn't get into one day. It's awesome. She's a real 17-year-old. She doesn't go, I would like to thank my corporate sponsors. She goes, my dad was here. <laughs> yeah, a human moment during the Olympics. McDonald's presents obesity. I'm all for McDonald's. Opening ceremony. Independent athletes provide feel-good moment. The parade of nations and lighting of the Olympic flame capped off the Olympic ceremony in London on Friday night. This is from The Guardian. Following an uh, at times surreal pageant directed by Danny Boyle. 
If only it had been surreal. Um, you're England. Shouldn't it have started with I got my head shaved But as I'm bad It wasn't easy But nothing is Woohoo! That's how the fucking Olympics should have started Look at the poor workers Crawling up the hill With only a do-rag tied around their head Here's Charles Dickens The highlight of the procession was almost certainly the entrance of the independent Olympic athletes. These athletes from South Sudan and Netherlands Antilles entered in the Olympic flag and looked among the happiest to be there. Go online and look up the uh, uh, independents because they were hilarious. Uh, Sir Paul McCartney, blah, blah, blah. I've got paper all over the floor. And I've got blisters on my fingers. Uh... Yeah, the Arctic monkeys sang Come Together. That was pretty weird. <laughs> this is the English papers. The minute the Olympic flag appeared at the end of their words, they started up again. And from then on, they didn't stop talking till the fireworks at the end. If only NBC had cut some of their banality. <laughs> yeah, that's the English papers ranking on us. I've got a question about banality. When an NHS nurse is shushing a tuberculosis patient, <laughs> yes, I'm watching. It's fucking exciting. I like sport, as we say in England, in the collective singular. Uh, but I wish they would all shut up a little bit. Speaking of sports, let's get to something that's the least sports thing of all time. Uh, oh, kittens, McTavish. Uh, I know I ramble and then I dissemble and then I ramble oh speaking of the women I want to talk about the Fab Five for just one more second then we'll go uh, it was Gabrielle Gabriel Douglas uh, Michaela Moroni Alexander Raisman Elisa Viejo and Jordan Jordan Weaver that's the one I was trying to think of uh, they have been awesome uh, anybody have been watching Michaela McRoney that little fucking kitten <laughs> Did you see when they did the fucking dick walk by the other teams in slow-mo the other night after they swamped Russia? They did. They showed them in slow-mo the five girls walking like this and shit. And fucking Michaela went. And so mean girls side-eyed the other fucking team. I've been doing her interior monologue through this whole Olympics. Look at the Russian girl. She looks fat. How's the Poroshke? Because <laughs> when Michaela got on the horse, man, she fucking flew through the air. Hilarious. Uh, Gore Vidal passed away, and he is down. He is indeed. I, normally, I say people are in the cosmos tonight, looking down on us as a giant purple swirling vortex of stars. Somehow, I feel that Gore Vidal would find that a bit florid. <laughs> Instead, let's say that Gore Vidal is sitting in the back tonight in his wheelchair, his head slightly inclined, looking at us with a jaundiced fucking eye. Really? You're talking about me after I'm dead? Where were you when I was alive, you asshole? Uh, I saw Gore Vidal 
um, I was with my wife and we went to this rich liberal event in, uh, I think it was in, was it in Brentwood or Beverly Hills? It was in Beverly Hills. My wife is here. And, uh, hi Jennifer. Really proofs you're married? Yeah. I got my head shaved. And, uh, we went to see, uh, it was like a constitutional rich people thing where rich liberals went, and I got invited because I'm on rich liberal uh, lists. And uh, we thought as much, Greg. So we go to this event, and what made it more awesome than anything, there was a guy speaking, he'd written a book about the Constitution and how the Bush administration had, had violent uh, intercourse from behind with the Constitution and how it wasn't right. And, and he was a constitutional scholar and he'd gone through and it was very, very erudite and, and well, well uh, uh, made argument in this book. And he was there signing his book. The best part of the whole evening for me was, uh, and if anyone remembers this outside of two people in the fucking room, I'm going to weep with fucking joy. John Saxon, the actor, was there. And thank you. John Saxon... I don't even know where to begin with John Saxon. He's in a million fucking movies from the 50s and 60s and shit like that. He had dark hair and he was really good looking and wore tight pants and shit like that. He was West. Is John Saxon in Westworld? Enter the Dragon is the one I was. Westworld is Yule Brenner and Richard Benjamin. Is John Saxon in fucking Westworld? No. But thank you for speaking out on that. Uh, He's in Space 1999, he's all, uh, but he's in Enter the Dragon. He's the white guy in Enter the Dragon and shit, right? So John Saxon was there and looks awesome. This was like two years ago. And he fucking, my wife and I are like, oh, it's a great party and we're having canapes and we're, shit and we're sitting outside on a humid patio. And like, fucking, is that John Saxon? Like, when actors from the 60s show up at a liberal party, I, was, I couldn't have been more excited. If, we also went to an event uh, several years ago that was like a, a KPFK, uh, what is it, in Pacifica Radio in L.A. Uh, Julie Newmar was there. <laughs> Catwoman was there. And I, I, took, I, had, I, was, I was doing stand-up in front of a Greg uh, Palast uh, speech, right? And I took Greg Palast's book, and I went up to Julie Newmar with it, and I went, I have nothing else. Will you autograph his book? So I have, like, the best democracy money can buy by Greg Palast, and inside... Big love, Julie Newmar. <laughs> and I go, she goes, I go, Julie, how are you? And she goes, I own all of Fairfax Avenue. <laughs> I go, because I live near Itapita, which used to be there. It's knocked down now. She goes, I own that whole fucking block. Yeah. And I was like, good for you. Stupefying Jones from Little Abner. The Catwoman owns fucking Fairfax Avenue. And by the way, Julie Newmar looked barumptious. <laughs> I would so fucking Greek style wrestle her. <laughs> so we go to see this thing and Gore Vidal's wheeled out, literally wheeled out. And Gore Vidal lived to fucking agitate and be contentious and rub you the fucking wrong way. That was his raison d'etre. He lived for two reasons. To put other people down who weren't as smart as him and to fucking make people uncomfortable. Two things I can identify with almost utterly. I'm not saying I'm like Gore Vidal in any way other than I have the same predilections. Although he was much more openly vicious than I could ever fucking hope to be. My favorite thing I think that every obituary recapitulated was that he said the three saddest words in the English language are Joyce Carol Oates, which is beyond mean. It's beyond mean. We're in another fucking galaxy of mean. 
The horse had nebulae, just went by and went, oh, that was fucking wicked mean. And then he said the four happiest words in the English language are, I told you so. Which I would never say, even though I'm a pedantic pedagogue who's in love with the sound of my own voice and is mesmerized by my every incantation. I am not the person at the end of the day who goes, I think you can because I'm never fucking right. I'm never right about anything. I'm not right about the announcers being anonymous on the Olympics. People are like, oh, I like it better. I'm not right about the Danny Boyle opening ceremony. People are like, I like the pile of dirt. It was fun. I like when the deaf children sing. It made my heart take off like a sparrow. I know I'm wrong about everything. Gorbachev was certain he was right. So he wheels up. And they introduce him. And of course, the crowd's reverent at this point. And we've all gathered on the humid patio. John Saxon is standing with an ascot. And I can't stop watching him. Right? I'm like, <laughs> you know, fucking Bruce Lee and shit. So they wheel Gore Vidal out. And he starts talking about President Grant. You think I'm boring and pedantic. <laughs> And he knows what he's fucking talking about, right? He wrote the book Lincoln. Oh, he knows about President Grant. He's not bullshitting you. This isn't fucking CNN or Fox News where they go, well, President Grant, I believe, was president sometime after the century was a war. This isn't the Michelle Bachman School of History. If he mentions President Grant, he knew who the fucking Secretary of the Interior was and why he fucking left. So my wife and I are looking at each other, President Grant, for reals. So he takes some questions. And people go, well, about, you know, the Bush administration. And then it was right at the time when all the Republican senators and congressmen were, or Republican congressmen, rather, uh, if you remember Bob Ney and whatnot, were all online uh, trolling for fucking male toddy. And you, know, you remember that glorious moment in Republican history that they have forgotten that was only like five years ago when they were like, basically using what is it called grinder before there was a grinder app the, you know the republican congress was like hey i think there's a dude near a bush 20 kilometers from here fuck that there's a guy like three meters from here with a subway bag on his ball sack let's get over to him and see if we can lick the barbecue chicken sauce off before that fucking before the next vote is take abstain abstain wait a minute wait, wait a minute so they go about these homosexuals in congress and shit like that and gore vidal goes my grandfather was the senator from Oklahoma, or congressman, rather. Oh, he was a senator, was he not? He goes, I was a congressional page when I was a boy. And I used to give blowjobs in the congressional cloakroom. And yeah, to Democrats and Republicans. And the crowd, these rich, these rich liberals who were like, uh, no more questions. Everyone fucking panicked. And I knew at that moment that he would live another four years. His, the discomfiture, the pizza of discomfiture that transfixed every liberal's face in that crowd, actually made his ventricles fucking open up and blood course through his veins. He flushed with success. I knew that that made him live longer. He was just like, the fact that he told everyone he blew fucking guys in the congressional cloakroom in the 30s 
made him happier than any moment of his life. More happier than when he won the fucking National Book Prize. Happier than when Buckley threatened, called him a queer and threatened to punch him in the fucking nose and shit. Norman Mailer punched him at a party and he laid on the ground and he went, once again, words fail Norman Mailer. So he didn't go to college. I want you to know that. He didn't go to college. He went to Exeter where he majored in, you know, Jimmy Trimble or whatever. And then... He, he, he didn't go to university. He, he taught himself. He was from a rich family, but he taught himself. I, I'm only saying this to inspire people because I went to college for four and a half years and didn't learn a goddamn thing. I learned how to, like, you know, chase and, uh, and score acid and shit like that. I learned a couple of positive things. Direct children's shows. Yes, I directed children's theater when I was in college. I wrote a play called Puss in Boots. Adapted from the original, which I called Puster Bootin. It was a musical, and I wrote the songs as well, with a, a piano player named Bob Brelev, who is an amazing producer. In any case, he went on to be an amazing producer. Uh, Gore Vidal didn't go to college, just so you know that you don't have to fucking go to college. But I wanted to go to college. You should, if you can. But if you don't, read a couple books and you'll be all right. Um, like, these are a couple stories from his uh, his book Palimpsest, right? This one appears that I've got is Point to Point Navigation. It, it's one of his last books, and um, I, I have to say, and uh, not to diminish Corvidal in any way, um, this book is all over the goddamn yard and is a bunch of diffuse fucking memories put together by someone in the last few laps. Here's a picture of him on, on a Fellini film just because he was in a fucking Fellini film. And why not tell the story of when you were in a Fellini film? As I've so often quoted on the show, uh, David Niven once said, if you're having dinner with Chairman Mao, don't talk about the fucking waiter. <laughs> if you're in a movie with Fellini, fucking talk about Fellini and shit like that. Uh, he's trying to do the voiceover later when they went in to do the uh, looping on the film. And Gore Vidal can't do it. And he says to Fellini, um, you're considered the greatest living director. Give me some direction. How do I end the speech? There was a bouncing ball that went over the words. And Fellini went, oh, is there trouble? His eyes were wide with innocent concern. Oh, he's so easy. Before you talk, take a deep breath. <laughs> I did. And the shot was perfect, concluding my career as a screen actor in Italy. Then there's a picture of him standing in front of a giant logo of the, move, the novel Myra Breckenridge, which is an inflated woman doll with Gore Vidal standing on a float in front of it. That's the kind of ego he had. Jim Moran, a publicist who once hid a needle in a haystack, drove the statue across America presenting it to a dozen governors who each saw fit not to accept it. That's what's in this book. Uh, in Palimpsest, and no one would call their book Palimpsest ever, ever, except Gore Vidal. It, it, it's a kind of um, a paper or, 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 or fiber that you can read the paper that was originally, the writing underneath the writing is what a palimpsest is. And when you pull the original, the tissue off, there's writing underneath it because they used to double up on papyrus and things like that. Uh, in his book, there's a couple of awesome stories uh, that I'd like to recount to you for right now. Uh, he dropped JFK and Jackie Onassis more than any human alive. Uh, and I'm going to do it right now in this story. So he knew JFK real well. And much to Gore Vidal's credit, Tennessee Williams was one of his best friends. And Tennessee Williams was uh, an enormously gifted uh, playwright who honored this country by being alive. And 
was a def, uh, uh, was one of the wittiest people of all time. My favorite one, two favorite ones in the book are, he goes, we're at a gay bar in New York after, and by the way, he never admitted to being gay. Homosexuality is an act, he said. <laughs> Get it? It's an act and an act. Uh, he, uh, he was in a gay bar with Tennessee and uh, right after World War II, and a, and a drunk guy goes, well, I say, live and let live. And Tennessee turns to him and goes, I don't see how he could have it any other way. <laughs> and the other one is, he introduces him to JFK. And uh, JFK you know, talks to Tennessee Williams. He's delighted to meet him. Eminent playwright, early 60s. Tennessee's probably the greatest playwright in the world at that point. Him and JFK are alone after, and Gore Vidal says to JFK, what would you think of Tennessee Williams? And JFK goes, he was marvelous, you know, erudite. And JFK says to him, what did Tennessee Williams think of me? And Gore Vidal goes, Mr. President, he thought you were sexy. And he goes, JFK smiles and goes, that's very exciting. <laughs> what a little whore JFK was. That's why he's beloved, like Clinton. That's why he's beloved, like Clinton. Let's be honest. Herbert Walker Bush and, and Walker Bush are not going to be beloved in time's future. In 20 years when we convene, when I'm deeply dead and Greg Proops Jr. is up here wheezing through a fucking kazoo <laughs> and he's reading this fucking story and we're talking about Gore Vidal Third and shit like that, no one's ever going to go, when George W. Bush did this, it was so cute and funny and shit and everyone's going to go, aww. No one will. People will go, mm. When JFK says, that's very exciting. We're all like, really? Because Bill Clinton would have gone, really? You know, I don't bat for the other team. But... He is, after all, a gifted wordsmith. When one has that kind of alacrity with their craft, well, one can consider the possibilities. <laughs> Gore Vidal said, everybody likes a bit of gossip to some point as long as it's gossip with some point to it. That's why I like history. History is nothing but gossip about the past with the hope that it might be true. <laughs> Style is knowing who you are and what you want to say and not giving a damn. I am at heart a propagandist, a tremendous hater, a tiresome nag, complacently positive that there is no human problem which could not be solved if people would simply do as I advise. <laughs> we should stop going around babbling about how we're the greatest democracy on earth. We're not even a democracy. We're sort of a militarized republic. I love him for saying that, and I love him for writing a book about Bush and Cheney. Him and Christopher Hitchens split. He called Christopher Hitchens his, uh, you know, Dauphin or Delfino. And then, uh, as you recall, Christopher Hitchens, when the Iraq War started, became a right-wing maniac and decided that somehow they had weapons of mass destruction and that it was imperative that we fight a war against Iraq. Whereas Gore Vidal said that 9-11 was a conspiracy uh, committed by our government against us to destroy us. And at that point, they split off from one another. Um, and I love Gore Vidal for taking that position, especially so late in the game. 
uh, the genius of our ruling class is that it has kept a majority of the people from ever questioning the inequity of a system where most people drudge along paying heavy taxes for which they get nothing in return. <coughs> he spoke the truth a lot, and that's why he fucked people off. I saw him once, uh, Clive Anderson, who hosted the old uh, English... Um, Whose line is it anyway? Had a marvelous talk show in England called Clive Anderson Talks Back and then later another one I think called Clive Anderson something something. In any case, Clive was the quickest person I've ever fucking met in my life. Clive would move like fucking grease lightning. He really was just amazing. And only two people ever got the best of Clive. Uh, this is a person who had the Bee Gees on the show when all three brothers were alive and said, I understand you used to be in a group called the Wankers. <laughs> And fucking Barry got up and stormed the fuck off. And Robin went. <laughs> and then kind of crawled off and Morris went, eh, they, like Barry left, we have to go. <laughs> and he said, Clive Anderson said to someone else, I can't remember who it was, but it was brilliant. It was a filmmaker, I think. He went, is there no beginning to your talent? <laughs> Gore Vidal came on and Clive was trying to run him around and Gore Vidal wouldn't have it, right? And this is when he was Coppets Manus fucking not in the wheelchair, right? This is in the 90s, late 90s. And uh, Clive goes, what do you think about the future of England? And Gore Vidal took his spectacles off to slow the pace down because Clive goes like this, what do you think about England? What do you think about England? And Gore Vidal went, Clive, I think that <laughs> England and Iceland Iceland? <laughs> You're including England with a country with 200,000 people and all the northern lands will find that their future's not proscribed. And I was like, are you fucking joking me? So the next day we're shooting his line and Clive walked in and I went, Clive, awesome show last night. <laughs> Gore Vidal ran you around the ring like a fucking show pony. The only thing was missing was fucking feathers in your fucking hair. So, in Gore Vidal's book, Palimpsestian, Eleanor Roosevelt was a friend of his and urged him to run for Congress, which he did unsuccessfully. And again, when I was in college here in the 80s, in 1960, he ran. He goes to uh, Eleanor Roosevelt's funeral. This is how connected Gore Vidal was. And at the funeral is Edward R. Murrow. And Murrow is, of course, dying of his lung cancer and is still chain-smoking whatever he smoked, Chesterfields and whatnot. And he walks up to, uh, in, this, in the book he goes, I go up to Murrow at Eleanor Roosevelt's funeral, it's in New York City, on the sidewalk, and go, Mr. Murrow, have you thought about running for public office? And he goes, Murrow goes, <coughs> you have to understand, I don't like people. <laughs> My grandfather didn't like people very much either, and he was quite an effective member of Congress. And he goes, Murrow takes a drag off the cigarette and goes, I really don't like people. <laughs> and he says, thus spake his 
the Coriolanus of the Columbia Broadcasting System. Uh, Gore Vidal is like Kurt Vonnegut and, and Norman Mailer and, uh, yeah, and uh, so many uh, writers uh, from the World War II era. The last generation of people who didn't fucking complain and weren't queer, apparently. Uh, <laughs> I forget who said it. It was in one of the articles I read today. You can go on uh, the Daily Beast and read it. Stephen Schiff quotes another author who said, it was a tick of their generation to say they weren't queer. Um, very irreplaceable because of the honesty, forthrightness, steadfastness, and awesome uh, democracy that they held to be right. Gore Vidal said something like, uh, we used to believe in America that, in the ancient American belief that nothing couldn't be overcome uh, if humans fucking put their mind to it. And that that went away during his lifetime. Again, it's awesome to be old and be a curmudgeon and be able to shit on everything that comes before you. <laughs> However, he is an irreplaceable voice, uh, not so much in American letters as just the American dialogue. He dared to be witty. He dared to be diminishing. He dared to be overarching. He dared to uh, self be self-aggrandizing. He's the last of the great uh, self-aggrandizing authors who, as one article put it, were famous even though people didn't read their fucking books. Uh, and for that, we venerate uh, Gore Vidal and we celebrate him and uh, we wish him well in the afterworld. I only hope that he has to go to a fucking writer's convention with William F. Buckley and fucking Norman Mailer in the afterworld and that their drinks are fucking poured because he said he drank all the time and he tried every major drug at least once. And I hope that him and William F. Buckley are in the afterworld having gin and tonics and then a fucking fist fight and then a fist fuck. Here we go. Let's go to our next uh, topic, which is you guys taking questions. I've got a microphone over here. If anyone wants to ask me a question, we have to pitch up over here. I'm going to put it down on the floor. We'll do this for a few minutes and then we'll fuck off into the night because we have many shows this weekend. Here we go. I'm going to stick it over here. You have to come over. I'm so sorry. Okay. Oh, you'll hand it to the next person. We'll do it like that. There's no bloody cord on this fucker. Hi, what's your name, darling? I'm Blaze. Hi, Blaze. I'm Greg. Hi. Yeah, I'm kind of drunk, too. Um, all right, so I read uh, yesterday or earlier today that Mitt Romney's, oh, Mitt Romney's tax plan is actually mathematically impossible. M M Mitt Romney's what plan? Tax plan. Oh, Christ, yes. Yeah, that it's mathematically impossible. His own people refuse to look into it, and it's the first Republican um, actually wanting a tax increase yeah. in the history of the United States. Um, why are people who are in that tax bracket still supporting him? Like, do his other ideals still outrank the fact that they'd be paying way too much money and well, you're familiar with the Orwellian concept of double think, right? Where you're able to hold two simultaneously uh, 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 opposing. opposing. Thank you. As I struggle for the word, thank God the smartest crowd in the world is here. Diametrically opposed ideas. Uh, thank you, darling. Two opposing ideas uh, simultaneously, right? Uh, um, uh, guns are bad and people are shot with guns every day of the week by heedless fucking men all over the world. If we have more guns, we'll all be safe. It's our right. Those kind of things that people think of at the same time. Uh, women are flighty and emotional and bitches and should never leave the world. Oh, women are also fucking pragmatic and, 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 and you know, all those things. Uh, I think those are the same things. When you live in Mitt Romney world, you're living in a world where you're literally holding a mask up like Janice in front of your face, right? Um, Mitt Romney is what we used to call a moderate Republican of the old school, like his father was and like 
George Herbert Walker was before he was Reagan's vice president. That meant you didn't give a fuck about anything except that maybe some people could keep their money sometimes. But I don't care if there's faggots and I don't care if women have health birth control and shit like that. Now, because the Republican Party after George Bush sent it spiraling out of control and then when McCain picked Sarah Palin, he allowed you know, lunatics to make the agenda, right? So now the lunatic agenda is the regular agenda and Mitt Romney, who was a reasonable asshole billionaire, is now having to go like, no monkey was my grandfather. Chick-fil-A is awesome because they don't have faggot burgers. Like he's being forced to say things he doesn't believe or understand. And all of the people who are supporting him are forced to be uh, uh, to have to do those things too. They're being forced to hold truths that are not self-evident. They're being forced to hold contradictory positions at the same time and do insane fucking gymnastic, mental gymnastics to hold these things all at once. Uh, um, a lot of people who are going to vote for Romney believe that President Obama was not born in America and is a Muslim. And also that Elvis is alive. So... <laughs> Understand all those things, and then I think that explains partially why people are able to understand that. I hope that answers your question, and thank you, Blaze. Well, I've also been watching you since I was nine, so... Well, you must be exhausted. <laughs> She's been watching me since she was nine. Thank you. What's your name, sir? Oh, my name is Andy. Oh, hi, Andy. How you doing, Mr. Prince? Thanks for your gift at the first show, Andy. You're very welcome. Very generous of you, man. I, I just want to congratulate you on recovering from your Glasgow haircuts. Ah, thanks, buddy. Looking much better. Yeah. And uh, I also want to ask you... It grew out so thick. Yeah. I'm never cutting yeah, it. No, that's, that, that's what happened. When I'm in Edinburgh, I'm thinking about going over to Glasgow just to get another haircut. <laughs> and face violation. Actually, when, when you've been over there, have you run across the comedian Frankie Boyle? Oh, of course. Yes. Aye. Aye. What's your opinion of him? He's enormously popular in Scotland. He's, he's wildly popular in Scotland. Yeah. Do you think he would travel well over here? I don't know. That's a very interesting question. He's all up in your face and shit. Speaking of Mangrave, he's got a grill. <laughs> <laughs> and he never has dry mint. <laughs> his mint is as moist and juicy as a deep-fried haggis. You bite into it, and it's bursting with flavor. <laughs> Steakhouse flavor. The kind I've been looking for. What's your question, Andy, at long oh, last? That, that was the question. Oh. Boyle. oh, what about yeah, Frankie Boyle? So. Uh, nice bloke. I've met him. He was fun to work with. I think he's funny. Uh, good... Come on yourself, big man, is what I have to say. Trying to get over here. Yeah. I, I, don't know, I don't think he would come over here because he makes untold fortunes over there selling DVDs and shit. You can't sell a DVD in this country. What was that? You've had your ring destroyed. I've had my ring destroyed? Yeah. Aye. I haven't, and I'll have you know my ring is in perfect tact. Thank you, Mr. Bruce. Thank you, Andy. And your, and your Glaswegian mate who yelled out my ring was destroyed from the crowd. I'll take your fucking ring road all up around your shit. You're not even from Glasgow. You're from fucking Paisley. I can smell it. Fake Glaswegians. 
Yeah, I see him, I hear him laugh. <laughs> I am from Greenock. <laughs> Mother to well, but the point is... Yes, sir, what's your name? My name's Cliff. Glick? Cliff. Oh, Cliff, I'm sorry. I don't know what the fuck I was doing there. It must have been Andy's gift from earlier. Wow, we have people named Glick here tonight. Anyone else from the planet Neptune? My name's Click Click Word. So on previous shows, you talked about journalism and its sort of decline in the Western and Eastern. Um, what do you think of people such as and Tom Wolf, and are we ever going to see another Gonzo generation in journalism? Oh, I think we will. I think that the Internet's going to spawn a bunch of people. Uh, I, I think that... Uh, people are finding their own way with writing now, and they know that it's going to be on zines, or that it's going to be over the internet, or that they're going to have to self-publish, or they'll find a way through the fucking cracks. I think there's as much good writing as there always was, if not more. I think more people have access to writing. I think the problem is, uh, you know, I go to I, uh, I go to airports and it's Fifty Shades of Grey, and I have nothing against Fifty Shades of Grey. I like touching myself as much as anyone else on earth. <laughs> Although I'm not that kinky, disappointingly not kinky. Uh, but uh, I, I, so I think there's a way for writers to get out there. Will we ever see that kind of venerated journalism again? I don't know. I'm hoping that at the same time everything goes forward, the same time goes backward. And I think this is true because I find that at the same time everyone's downloading podcasts, people are buying vinyl, and at the same time everyone's got ebooks and Fifty Shades of Grey is a huge bestseller and shit. People are buying books again, and I find used bookstores in every place I go, and I find that. People want the genuine article. You know what I mean? Even if they're 18 years old and they've only heard about the genuine article, at a certain point they're going to go, I'm going to play a fucking record. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to talk on a phone that you hold like this. <laughs> that you talk into a mouthpiece and an earpiece, not a thing that you hold in your hand and shit. I think there's nothing like the tactile sensation of those things. Will they go away? Inevitably. Is, is the modern world effective life? Irrevocably. Um... Will there be great journalists? Yes, in a different form. They may speak in multicolored bubbles that enter your brain. They may just be something that you go like, uh, and then it's there. Uh, you know what I mean? They may be a cat that walks up to you and you pet the back of it and they go, oh, that cat's the sports cat. I wanted the philosophy cat and then you touch that one. I'm not sure what the delivery system's gonna be. You think there's going to be a sports cat, Greg? If I ruled the world. A sports kitten, even, in a basket. And then a deaf child will sing to you, Hemingway! Thank you for your question. Oh, hi, young lady. What's your name? Hi, I'm Karen. Hi, Karen. Oh, okay. Um, in a recent podcast, you were discussing Jackie Brown. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. And, uh, I was wondering if you would just talk a little bit about sure. 70s Hamburg. Oh, yeah, hell. I was just seeing how long we've gone. Okay. Well, I think everyone should order breakfast now. <laughs> that question's pretty open-ended and really requires approximately two hours of dissertation. <laughs> there is no... Ending to 70s Pam Greer. Se 70s Pam Greer is a Mobius strip that returns upon itself and gives you nothing but rich rewards. 
I believe it's the movie Coffee. Yeah. Where, thank you. I'm taking no credit for her career, but... Her sister is put on drugs by an evil overlord, and she has to personally wipe out dudes, one of whom she shoots in the dick. Uh, I don't think you can say enough about Pam Grier's 70 career. Foxy Brown, every single... Uh, is it Foxy Brown where... Uh, who played... Um, who was the bartender on uh, The Love Boat? Isaac? I believe... Is it Ted Lang? In that movie goes, there goes a bad mammy jammer. Um, if filmmaking gets better, I would like to hear about that. You can take Federico Fellini and Jean Renoir and Louise Bunuel and Tarkovsky, Sergei Eisenstein. None of them ever had There Goes a Bad Mammy Jammer in their movie. Did they? Someone went, yes, they did. No, they fucking didn't. I think if you watch Battleship Potemkin when the baby carriage comes down the Odessa steps, no one goes, There Goes a Bad Mammy Jammer. She's eternal. Not only should she have won an Oscar for Jackie Brown, she should, have, she should get a Lifetime Achievement Award. Name, you know, okay, there's Cicely Tyson. There's so many great black women in the 70s. But, uh, uh, and, and the awesome, uh, uh, oh my God, I just blanked on her fucking name. The woman who played Cleopatra Jones. The, the six foot one, Tamara Dobson. There's so many great uh, actresses from all those movies. But she's the, the queen. By a long fucking mile. And I have nothing but respect for Pam Greer. And I'm on her Twitter all the time, which is all over the fucking yard. It's not Jose Canseco all over the yard, but it is all over the yard. <laughs> Jose Canseco's Twitter is the best thing ever. Two weeks ago, I complete you. <laughs> As Salt and Pepper once said, get up on this. Um, I love Pam Greer beyond all measure and I will watch her movies until the end of fucking time and I will put them up against any other black exploitation movies. I love the movie Superfly, uh, but Superfly moves at a snail's fucking pace. Coffee and Foxy Brown move like lightning and there's lots of man killing in them, which makes them awesome beyond all measure um, to answer your question. And, and she has that sexy fucking giant Indian nose, which makes her even more awesome than anyone else could ever be. And she was in the L word, which they quit making and then started yeah. making the real L word. And I love, exactly, thank you. Someone in the front went, what the fuck? <laughs> so we took a, a, a soap opera show about lesbians called the L word and turned it into a reality show where the lesbians were slightly less appealing than they were in the fucking soap opera fight. Someone went, did they? <laughs> yes, straight dude, they did. <laughs> Stop watching Game of Thrones. Because you are. You are watching Game of Thrones. And Netflix Coffee Brown tonight. Thank you, my darling. Oh, we're handing them... How polite my crowd is. And I call you my crowd as if I've summoned you here. Hi, Greg. I'm Drew. Hi, Drew. Um, I know Drew, and you're not Drew, but okay. All right. I'll accept that. You're the other Drew. Um, so apart from the naked Olympics, uh, what other lost uh, cultural practice from the ancient world would you like to see reappear in the modern world? Well, the Carthaginians killed babies. <laughs> I think infanticide's been overlooked. <laughs> Joking, of course. Thank you. Someone went, no, that was good. <laughs> Yells a woman in the front. That's the spunk I like to hear. Uh, I think making sacrifices to the gods is overlooked. 
but animals would die. Wasn't it funny and cute when babies died a minute ago? And then the crowd, yeah, that was funny and cute, but not animals, Greg. This is California. You don't have to sacrifice an animal. You can sacrifice a carrot or whatnot. A strawberry. Uh... I think uh, I think we overlooked that there's lots of gods. That's I, I don't know if I've said this before on the podcast, but of course I'm a little high now. Um, I think that that making one monotheistic, you know, god, one god that's played by Anthony Hopkins with a white beard, or played by Morgan Freeman, or whatever it is, that's played by a man, is a, is a fruitless exercise. Clearly, God is a woman because men can't give birth. So, if God is a woman, and as I've said so often, she's a Filipino lesbian, because I'm from San Francisco. There's a pantheon of gods and godettes and godesses, and we overlook them entirely. Um, There's a god of fortune. There's a god of victory. There's a god of apprehension. There's a god of fucking eating. There's a god of everything, and we don't worship them enough. Instead, we walk around looking at our phones all the time and cursing at people who are parking ahead of us. Um, I think it's time to go back and, and when you walk into the fucking coffee shop tomorrow morning, go, there's a goddess of scones and I want to thank her for this fucking scone. Uh, I, I, I just think there's gods all over the place all the fucking time and we ignore them. That's one ancient practice I'd like to see come back. The other one is, of course, slavery. And here's why. <laughs> because you could have sex with the slaves that you owned and it was awesome. And, and then they would serve at a dinner party and then if they could play or whatever, you'd make them play the liar after. Greg, that's a shocking statement You just said that you wanted to own another person as chattel And then have Congress with them And then make them play for your own amusement It's a fantasy question I can't bring the ancient world back any more than you can Can an old man have his fun? That was pervy like a Kubrick movie I'm kidding, you guys. Jesus fucking Christ. I've made myself hysterical. Of course I wouldn't want slavery, you fucking assholes. Unless. Say you were building a villa out of town. God damn it. Fucking Bay Area. If I was doing this in Nashville right now, people would be slapping each other five and shit. <laughs> laughing their fucking asses off. Because that was a place that had real slavery and shit. You guys are fucking... Mm. It's funny up to a certain point, Greg, and then people get hurt. It's like a Daniel Tosh video. It's a bummer. <laughs> I'm not sleeping. I'm just dozing. (laughs) I think I'd bring back the triumph, the Roman triumph. And uh, not for people who win in wars. I think I'd bring back the Roman triumph for people who were fucking trying to get some shit done and struggling. Uh, uh, When you you read about people who fucking uh, uh, get a clothing distribution center together for the poor or something like that, those are the people who deserve a triumph on NBC. Uh, uh, Yeah, with fucking parade and signs and marching bands and shit like that. That's the kind of thing I would bring back, venerating uh, people in, in in a little more egalitarian way, other than always having to hear from 
from the government, uh, because as you know, the government is going to venerate itself whether or not we want it to, and uh, shit like that. Uh, and what other ancient practices? I would I would carry a a, um, a a cuneiform roll with me, like they did in ancient Sumeria, which they wore on their necks on a leather band. And then when it was time to do your signature, they would give you a wet piece of clay, and rather than write your signature in it with a stylus, you would take your a brand which had like maybe an ox and the moon or something and roll it over the mud and that was your signature and then you'd put it back on your neck that I would bring back because I think that is fucking awesome you could do it with iPhones and have it be a little tag thingy thingy right and then you take out your iPhone and to sign a piece of paper you take it off your neck and go like that and it would go or whatever noise I don't know what noises iPhones make you go bing bang bang bing, bong. thank you for your question thank you we only have time for 45 more questions. <clears throat> I'm going to do like two more and then we have to go. I'm losing my voice. Thank you. Thank you for calling the show. To Blaze, I want to say the psychology behind getting people to vote against their own... Are you actually talking to one of my questioners earlier? As if this is your fucking show right now and shit? I'm joking. Go on. Go on. I know. I, I did. I read Lincoln, I think, in junior college. I don't remember Lincoln very well. Burr, I remember much more. And a couple of awful novels he wrote. One was called Kalki, and another was uh, Live from Golgotha. Neither were, were that successful. I, I prefer his memoir more, and I prefer his, his diatribe more. I, I read Lincoln while in China, and the fact that I could find it in China... How exciting. No kidding. Very encouraging. I'm sure he would have been chuffed beyond all fucking measure. <laughs> oh, you bought Lincoln, did you? Mm. If you told him you bought the naked and the dead, he'd been like, hmm. <laughs> well, that was my question to see if you'd read it. I, I did, but I don't recall all of it. I, I remember that he, I think he gives Lincoln syphilis in the book. Uh, yeah. Yeah, which is <laughs> yeah, not something all Lincoln historians agree on, quite frankly. Um, my other recommendation for books is um, Sex at Dawn. What was it? Sex at Dawn. Sex at Dawn? Yes. By Gore... Who? Uh, not by Gore. Yeah, I didn't think it was. No, <coughs> Google it, baby. Read it. I will Google it, baby. Thank you. <laughs> sex at Dawn. Yes. Which is one of the best times for sex. I think when you're awake yeah, yeah. is really the best time. Because <laughs> before dawn, I'm often like... <sighs> and if you have sex with then, it's not as rewarding and bewitching. Or bewitching. <laughs> Or however you wish to pronounce it. I put a ring on it. Precious love. Hi, Mr. Fruits. Hi. I'm Ellen. Hi, Ellen. Hi. Um, I tried to buy you a drink earlier, and I'm, I'm sorry it was unsuccessful. Thank you. I've had plenty to drink. <laughs> I wanted to compliment you on your fantastic socks. Yes. Oh, thank you. I think they're Duchamp. I can't remember. Yeah, there's pink on the top. Yeah. They're, they're quite smashing. Thanks. And I have a very frivolous question. Go on. I adore frivolity. <laughs> Thank fuck at the end of this evening we can end on frivolity. With your love of drink and of weed, um, how do you keep your girlish figure? My girlish figure? With these man boobs? You know how? With a man great. Because it's made of cast iron. My mint is never dry. 
You're lucky I don't weigh 850 pounds. That's all I have to say. I could be so a Samoan dude right now. I, my eating habits are fucking disgraceful. There's no question of it. Tonight before dinner, I was hungry, and I opened a bag of peanut M&M's. Because I think as an hors d'oeuvre, two things have been overlooked. Anchovies and peanut M&M's. I don't mean an hors d'oeuvre when you're sitting at the table. I mean before you're on the way to dinner, when you're like in the car. That's the time to eat an entire bag of candy. Later, when you're high, you're going to want a cheesesteak or two. If Clown Alley was still open. Thank you. It's a very, very flattering question, and you will get everywhere with questions like that, Ellen. It wasn't Gore Vidal who said it, but he should have. Flattery, flattery charges my battery. The fact that you think I have a girlish figure is enough to keep me going for weeks. Thank you, my darling. Oh, one last ad. I may have time for one more question. I may not. I know. It, no, it's sadly, it's not going to be. Yes, I will mention Satchel Page since someone's yelling now. Thank you. We will be at Bar Lubitsch next week for what can only be described as a, a, an entire book of Satchel Pages. Uh, uh, that will be on the 8th of August. At the 16th, we'll be at the Gilded Balloon in Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, outside of Glasgow for our friends from Glasgow the 19th of the balloon the 22nd of the balloon I'll be at Bar Lubitsch on September 5th uh, the 12th of uh, uh, September at Bar Lubitsch the 19th of September at Bar Lubitsch Mesa, Arizona outside of Phoenix on the 20th of October we'll also be uh, in Oregon next week on the 9th and 10th at the McDonald Theater in Eugene at the Elsinore Theater Elsinore hmm something is rotten in the state of Denmark uh, well, I wanted to thank a bunch of people who've had me on their podcast recently because uh, we've had a lot of downloads and I, could, I can't thank you enough uh, for joining me on my podcast. Uh, Aisha Tyler, Girl on Guy podcast. A homegirl from San Francisco. Pete Holmes on You Made It Weird. Uh, Doug Benson on the Doug Benson the uh, Adam Carolla on the Adam Carolla Show. Allison Rosen, uh, Allison Rosen is uh, my new best friend. The Long Shot Podcast with Eddie Pepitone. Super Ego. Uh, the, those boys have had me on, and they're amazing geniuses. Uh, Todd Blass, uh, who's an extraordinary. Mike Marbach uh, from Philadelphia has had me on recently. Uh, the Comedy Bang Bang uh, Podcast with Scott Ackerman. Who Charted with Kulap uh, and uh, Howard Kramer. And uh, Chris Hardwick's Nerdist Podcast. These are all my brothers and sisters in podcasting, and they have been nothing but unbelievably magnanimous and supportive of me. And I can't thank you enough for having me on your shows. We'll take one last question. You, my darling, is it? And then we'll... One last thing. Oh, yes, Ellen. I was the one who offered to be your transcriptionist, and I was serious. You can't transcribe these. I totally can. This is one hour and 54 minutes long. You're going to die if you transcribe these. You say it now, but then later you're going to cry and then hate me. Thank you, my precious love. Oh, you're her husband? And I'm a professional editor. You could barely get out the word professional editor. You're like me at the end of a podcast. I'm a professional broadcaster. Wow. That's a lot of transcribing. Seriously, it's the longest book ever. Yes, my precious love. Hello. 
Hello. Yeah, buddy. I was at the game today, which accounts for my burnout state. Uh, don't, we're not going to talk about today's game. What we're going to do is move on. Well, we can talk about it for a second, okay? Now go on and ask your question, and then I'll get. Uh, scoots and pants. Yeah, I couldn't be more excited about Scoots. Um, Scoot looked good in the field today. He didn't have a hit, but he did hit the ball. He didn't st- uh, uh, after his third ground out, or I think he had two ground outs and then a fly ball. I turned to my friend Jane Nacido, who I was at the game with today, and went, "Well, at least he didn't strike out." Uh, uh, pants. Uh, pants uh, hit an RBI. Hit a, his first RBI as a giant today, and as my friend Jay described it. On the softest of fly balls. <laughs> I love him because he wears Negro League socks. Uh, the Giants had a giant high sock team today. Uh, Z, doesn't wear the, Z didn't wear the orange ones because he doesn't wear them anywhere. We were trying to determine whether it was a league regulation or whether the team actually went, stop wearing the orange and black Princeton <laughs> socks. Um, I don't want to be bitter to end the podcast because I tend to toward bitterness in my own personal life. Um, Barry Zito today had the most Barry Zito outing of any Barry Zito outing of the year. In the first inning, he, he got off the first two batters quite swiftly and then proceeded to walk the next two batters, then a hit by pitch, then a single, then a double. And I predicted both the single and the double. It's not that I'm Nostradamus or Proopstradamus. It was that after there were the bases drunk, I went, here comes a base hit, boom. And then I went, now a ringing double, I should think. And then boom, a ringing double was hit off the glove of Melky Cabrera. At which point, Barry had given up four runs. And all of us as Giants fans went, now the universe is back in order. <laughs> this winning record, Barry Zito, tough competitor, shutout pitching Barry Zito that we knew from the early part of the season, has now gone back to the Barry Zito form of last year and 2010 when we could uh, all sit around and just fucking shit on him all the time. (laughs) Here is my hope, ladies and gentlemen, that all of the Giants pitchers will rally and that once again, we shall dominate. We are in first place today and that's why I didn't want to be a whiny bitch because you realize there's people listening to this podcast who live in cities like Pittsburgh and shit who are going like, you're in first place, you fucking faggots. (laughs) And you're whining about your pitching staff? You have Tim Lincecum. Uh, you have Mad Bum. You have fucking Vogelsong. You, you, you have Matt Kane. I don't want to hear any more sniveling from Giants fans. You have a ring from two years ago. Other people don't have fucking rings. There's Chicago Cubs fans out there who are weeping into a bowl of porridge all night long. So I will only say this. We will remain triumphant, and I wish you nothing but love, and I wish that every page that you turn would be a satchel page. Thank you very much for coming out to this modest podcast in the world. I have Greg Proops, and I remain humbly your servant. Jeffy, we will play the closing theme song. We will once again. Buck off into the night, and I thank you so much. <laughs>